Bao, welcome to the podcast.、Um, how are you doing today? How are you feeling with your 30 for 30 documentary, Be Water, coming out this weekend? What, what kind of feelings do you have in the days leading up to it? Well, thanks for inviting me on the show, Alex, first of all.、Um, I mean, it's, it's weird to be promoting anything right now, given the state of the world, the state of America.、Um, so I, I'm glad maybe we can have a conversation that dives a bit deeper into、uh, Bruce Lee and maybe why Bruce Lee's message and his, his relationships and his story is relevant to what's going on today. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I think, you know, especially for myself, the conversations that I've been having. Uh, with friends and, and other people、uh, over the past few days and over the weekend.、Um, I think it's just starting dialogues and talking about things that, that we know. And obviously,、um, as we dive into this about Bruce Lee, you know, he faced a lot of discrimination himself、um, you know, in, in Hollywood and other places.、Um, but I want to start with you know, when did you learn about Bruce Lee? I mean, I know obviously as, as Asians, a lot of us know about Bruce, but, but when did you get to a point where、um, you knew enough about him and had enough curiosity that you wanted to make an entire documentary about his life? I guess that's kind of the first memory I have of Bruce Lee is when I was about eight or nine years old. and I just remember seeing Enter the Dragon playing on television, and you know, it was a Saturday afternoon or something like that. And,、uh, you know, for the most part of my life at that time, I had only seen Asians, Asian Americans depicted in, in kind of more negative、uh, stereotypes as either the villain or the sidekick or,、um, or the servant, right? And to see Uh, someone who looked like me reflected on screen and he was playing the hero, he was the lead.、Uh, that was something that was incredible for me. So that always stuck, stuck in my mind、uh, growing up. And obviously, as, as、uh, the decades passed,、um, the name Bruce Lee has always resonated. I didn't know so much about the person, and I was born、uh, a, you know, a bit after Enter the Dragon came out in theaters. Uh, so, yeah, it was, he was always kind of an icon to me and never a person. And that was one of the main reasons I wanted to make the film, is to sort of unpack the mythology of who Bruce Lee was and how he became, or how Bruce became Bruce Lee, I should say. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good point because, you know, I grew up, I remember my parents、um, showing me、uh, Bruce Lee films like Enter the Dragon, Fist of Fury, and, You know, Bruce Lee was always just this mythical superhero type figure. And, and watching your documentary,、um, I learned a lot uh, about him uh, personally, um, especially um, you know, the things that he had to deal with in Hollywood.、Um, you have all this archival footage.、Um, you know, the movie is told、um, through the archival footage, and you have the interviews as voiceovers. I'm wondering.、Um, When did you get access to that archival footage and what was that process like in terms of you know, cutting that into a, into a documentary film? Well, it was kind of an ongoing process because there's just different entities that have different types of footage.、Um, and it wasn't like a case of other films where the family has hundreds of hours of footage and it just kind of. Lands on your lap as a filmmaker. There was a kind of a deep search、um, for archival and going to 
the Bay Area to Seattle to Hong Kong to Los Angeles, um, all these places that Bruce Lee lived in. And, um, and yeah, just trying to figure out like what archival existed. And, and sadly, it's, it's not the same world that we live in today, uh, for better, or for worse, uh, where everything is documented, where people have hard drives and hard drives of, of their photos and videos from when they were bored and up to their childhood. Right. Uh, and this is 1960s America, 1970s Hong Kong. And, um, Hong Kong is a very dense city for people who visited to know. Um, and so there's not a lot of storage space. And a lot of the interviews that Bruce Lee did and his footage, they were either discarded and thrown away or they were taped over because people just didn't understand the scope of Bruce Lee and kind of have that mentality of archiving this type of footage like um, many people might have in the West. Um, and so it was a deep dive into the search for archival and um most of the archival comes from his family uh which is run by his daughter uh shannon and um so we use as much as archive as much archival as we could get but also we shot kind of archival we we took kind of creative license to shoot things that were impressionistic that felt like they were from that era and that kind of just I think we use the fluidity of the story in the film um, much better than if you uh, cut back to modern day interviews. And um, so, yeah, I mean, beyond just like archival footage and archival photos, it's just like the stories that you have to find, the people that you have have to find that really knew Bruce Lee. That was also a difficult part of making the film. Yeah. How long was the uh, process for putting this entire film together for you? Um, so, I mean, the concept of the film first came about maybe five years ago, and um, it was in development. I was researching for about two or three years, just trying to get a grasp of the type of film I wanted to make, but also trying to finance the film and find a home for where it would uh, be exhibited. And it was like about a couple years ago that my producer, Julia Nottingham, um, decided why don't we reach out to ESPN and that wasn't my first choice and that was never on any of my list because I didn't initially think of Bruce Lee and frame Bruce Lee as a sports figure but you know come to think of it he's very much a sports figure not in the traditional sense but if you watched some of ESPN's uh, documentaries especially their 30 for 30 series um, sports is never necessarily the forefront of of the story it's always kind of this vessel that carries a, a larger um, more kind of either historical or socially conscious story and um, I think that's what we tried to do with this film too: use um, sports and also Bruce Lee as a vessel to tell the, the larger story about um, the Asian American, the immigrant American, um, in, in the context of, of Bruce Lee's, uh, personal story. Cause I'm just wondering kind of whether maybe you have, um, kind of things that you might've personally related to, to Bruce's story, um, that that's touched on in the documentary. I, yeah, I completely relate to Bruce's story because as you, my parents were Vietnamese war refugees, they left Vietnam, on a boat, um, they were 
on the water for two weeks and they landed in Hong Kong and they stayed in a refugee camp for six months and then came over to America and I was born um, a few years after that. So Bruce's journey of leaving Hong Kong for America and coming with nothing uh, really resonated with my experience, my parents' experience. And I wanted to view Bruce's story through that lens, through the very personal lens of, again, being an immigrant American, being an Asian American, because I don't think his story has been framed that way uh, in a way that I found effective. It's never personal. I always look at Bruce Lee, the myth, the legend, um, and in, in a larger context instead of a very specific context of, of again being an asian american yeah i don't know if you agree with me I, I always feel like you know when people tell bruce's story it always just tries to break him down into kind of like a caricature or, or it kind of just touches on on the main points and doesn't get into you know really the, the humanizing aspect and like you mentioned um the the part of him being an immigrant to america you know watching a lot of the archival footage and, and the interviews um, you know, obviously, I think Bruce is someone who is very well aware of the discrimination that he was facing and the fact that he was Asian uh, was a setback to him in Hollywood, but despite his talents. Um, you know, as you're uncovering that story and learning more about that story, I'm wondering if you've learned any particular threads um, about his time in Hollywood that was uh, new to you or eye-opening to you. Uh, I mean, one of the things that uh, was new to me is that he rejected a lot of roles that he was offered after Green Hornet, um, roles that were demeaning or he found demeaning to, to, to Chinese and, uh, Chinese Americans. Right. And, you know, there aren't that many roles out there for people that look like Bruce Lee, even to this day and to, to kind of have that, um, uh, I guess I would say like determination to not perpetuate those stereotypes says a lot about who Bruce Lee was. Um, you know, his family was struggling. He wasn't getting paid and he was the breadwinner of the family, but he still had the, um, just the principle, the principle, right? The principle to not uh, want to, to, play the sidekick, the villain, the, the, the servant. I mean, he, he played that because that's what he was coming off of in the green Hornet. He was the sidekick and the servant, the chauffeur, but he added his own kind of Bruce Lee ism to it. Right. He, he wanted to add more lines to the, to the script. And that's something also that I learned that he was very adamant about adding his voice to these um, roles when for, for the most part, people would just be happy to get the roles in the first place. I think people remember Bruce Lee differently now um, than maybe how he was viewed or you know what his popularity was at the time, especially in Hollywood. Uh, would it be correct to say that you know at that time, you know when he was in these different roles like Cato in the Green Hornet, that he was seen more as a novelty and that Hollywood just didn't either didn't know how to push. Uh, Asians in a starring role or it was just something that didn't interest them at all? Um, I mean, you know, when you just thinking about it now, I, that was, again, one of the reasons I wanted to make the film is 
in 2015 and even to this day that there's a lot of conversation about inclusion and representation and for Bruce Lee to make it in Hollywood in the 1960s when it's already hard today to make it, it says a lot about like his determination his fortitude and I wanted to understand like why these stereotypes were happening in on screen and just going back to like decades of of kind of um, xenophobic policies and prejudice that Asian Americans face that perpetuated the idea again of the Asian as the enemy because you know when Bruce just arrived in America and when he started in Hollywood it was just the early stages of America's involvement in the Vietnam War and then a decade earlier was the Korean War and before that was World War II where America was fighting the Japanese and so the face of the Asian American male was very much the face of the enemy and so Bruce had to overcome that that stereotype which was so strongly embedded in the American psyche because of these foreign conflicts yeah and you know being a, a filmmaker and being a part of the industry um, I know there's definitely been a, a lot a huge push in, in the past few years especially to get more um, Asian Americans and Asians in general in, in visible roles. Um, are you encouraged by, by what you see in Hollywood now? And um, what are specific things you think that, you know, Hollywood and people in positions of power can continue to do to, to get more Asians on screen? For me, I see there obviously is a lot of progress being made because you're seeing more multifaceted portrayals of Asian and Asian Americans and people of color as a whole. And um, I would say that it, it's just we're, we're in the beginning of the struggle still because uh, in order to really change the system, you have to kind of change the levers of power and levers of control. And um, that means having more Asian and Asian American executives, green lighting projects, having more Asian American writers writing the stories that rep are representing our community. And that, that is starting to happen. I, 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 as I mentioned, I just moved to LA. Uh, I was living in New York, London, Asia for a long time. And I come to LA a lot for work, for meetings. And I would notice 10 years ago when I just started coming to LA for work, it was really hard to kind of meet many other Asian Americans in the industry. And if they were working in the industry, they had a, this was like their side job or their passion job while they had a full-time job in another field. And now coming to LA, people are working full-time in the industry and they're, they're really talking about the importance of inclusion and representation. And that is a, um, yeah, it's a hopeful, um, kind of update to what I saw 10 years ago. And how long have you been making films for about? Um, it's been about a little over a decade now. As the child of Asian immigrants, I never thought I could make a living as a filmmaker, as an artist of any type. And um, I always felt the burden and the responsibility of having to find a stable job um, as you know as either a doctor or a lawyer as as many other Asians know um, and I was gonna be a lawyer for the longest time but I had always had this like love for the visual arts and for film when I was little I was um, 
working at my parents' small business. They had a fabric store, and I was I was five years old working at their fabric store, and I was a cashier, and um, I was bored out of my mind being a cashier because I was working really long hours, and I you know this was before iPads, and my parents weren't going to get me a Game Boy or anything like that, and so I would be handed these fabric invoices, these fabric receipts, and on the other side of it was just blank pages. And I would end up just sketching and drawing um, for the whole day. And and by the end of the day, like the trash bin was like full of my sketches. And, you know, when I think about it now, I was storyboarding. I was like thinking of like how to visualize a story. And that was when I first kind of fell in love with film. And, um, you know, throughout my life, I tried to still keep that passion alive, but I never thought it was going to take me into a career. And so like the day I was supposed to take my LSAT, I was sitting in my car and I looked in the mirror and I I was just like, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? And and I remember my dad, he would come home late at night um, after working at the store and he would sketch, he would do these architectural sketches and he would tell my sister and I that he always dreamt of being an architect, um, but he, you know, we knew that he could never achieve that dream because he had to fight to um, take care of his family. He had to have a stable job, and I think, in a way, thinking about that memory, I realized like my parents came over because they wanted to give a better future for my sister and I, and um, I should, I should kind of live up to that expectation in a different way i should pursue what i really wanted to pursue because i was given that opportunity yeah and how how do your parents feel now that you've been making films for uh, over a decade i think it was just only recently where they really uh i would say were proud of me and the work i've done and um you, you know sometimes asian parents are proud in in, in their strange ways because Last year, I did a documentary, a short documentary for uh, that that asked my parents their their story as as refugees, and um, you know it was it was just a short documentary. But after the interview, my mom was like, "Oh, when are you going to make a film about like our whole story, like our family story, as like a feature film?" And at that moment, there's a bit of validation of what I was doing because she was asking me to tell our family story. Yeah, it's a. Uh... There's nothing harder than getting validation from uh, your Asian parents. Bruce goes to Hong Kong. Um, you know, he, he has um, he does his films in Hollywood, and then he goes to Hong Kong, and that's where he really becomes um, this star, right? Like, is that fair to say in terms of his narrative? I think it's fair to say for sure. I, most people think that he was a huge star. Um, before and he just kind of landed and because he's Bruce Lee he was uh, larger than life but he he went through a lot of struggles and it was that rejection uh, from Warner Brothers um, in regards to Kung Fu that Kung Fu the series that made him kind of redirect his goals and redirect where he wanted to go in life and so the opportunity just happened to uh, arise in Hong Kong and um he, that's that's where he made you know his iconic films yeah and you know a lot of those films and you talked about how you know in hollywood 
Asians are put in roles where they're the villain or, or the outsider. And here Bruce is in films where he's the hero. And, you know, there's uh, themes about, like, respond, responding to racism from the West. And, you know, he's fighting off uh, the foreigners and, and the villains. Um, how important do you think those films are now that I'm sure you've gone back to watch and revisit uh, as part of this? Uh, as more than just um, action films. I mean, we, we mentioned this in, in the documentary of the power of seeing yourself on screen, right? And going back to, to my first uh, memory of Bruce Lee, there's something really um, uh, inspiring and uh, being able to think of yourself as a hero when you've always thought of yourself as so much less because of either what you were told or what, society tells you um and it's not just that being able to see yourself but how other people see you right how other people see your community someone that looks like you um i think now in the time of of covid um when a lot of people are stuck at home we've realized the the sanctuary the salvation that film television culture media music books provide us when we need a little um, just something to get our minds off of, of, of what's going on around us. And, and when we watch these, these things on television, um, because we're not having that same face-to-face interaction with people and we're not interacting with society, this is our main way that we see the world is on television, in films, in books. Um, and that's why representation is so important because it, it just, it just shows that this is how, you know, if we're not, if we're being portrayed in like a singular way, that's how the world thinks of us. And that's how others think of us sometimes. And that's how people are going to treat us outside of, of culture and media. That's society reflects culture, culture reflects society. And it, it could be a beautiful thing when it's done right, but it also can be a vicious cycle. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, Bruce passes away at the age of 32 in 1973. How do you think Bruce's um, acting career would have played out if, if that didn't happen to him? I mean, I, he always had this intention to bring a lot of the crew members and his fellow actors and actresses from Hong Kong to Hollywood. He really wanted to bridge that gap between the two industries. And that's, you know, that's a great tragedy that he wasn't able to do that because he passed away. And um, he also had this goal to play roles beyond just the martial arts hero. He wanted to be a leading man in a drama or a romance. Um, just imagine Bruce Lee being the romantic lead and what that would have done for Asian American, especially male uh, Asian American male representation. We didn't have an advocate for for ourselves for so long, and still, it's difficult to kind of pinpoint someone who is can be that representative in a in a way that Bruce Lee could have been. Because you know, we're again we're having these same conversations about inclusion and diversity and the lack of uh, diversity, especially in telling multifaceted Asian American narratives. Um, and if we had Bruce being that advocate for the last 40 years, 
who knows how far we would have been today. Yeah, you know, you did a lot of interviews for this documentary, um, talking to Bruce's family, um, to his wife, Linda Lee Caldwell, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and, and many others. Um, which one or what were some of your favorite interviews and, and why? For me, a lot of the interviews, um, I mean, I, it's hard to kind of pinpoint because everyone had a different perspective on Bruce and really great stories. But some of the most memorable ones for me were the people that we're not used to hearing from. Um, someone like Amy Sanbo, who was Bruce Lee's like first girlfriend in America and who really teaches him a lot of things about what it means to have Asian-American pride and having pride in your Asian identity in America. She was um, Japanese-American, and she was also in the internment camps in during World War II in America. And that, I think, really informed Bruce um, about kind of the racial inequities that sometimes are are very uh, apparent um, in the United States and continue to be apparent to this day. And because of the, her sort of education to Bruce about America, it, it helped evolve him in terms of like how he treated others and how he viewed America and the, the way that he saw his own Asian American identity. Uh, so that was really interesting. And and just kind of, you know, she broke his heart, too. So just the idea of Bruce Lee getting his heart broken is something that most people wouldn't imagine. Obviously, he's passed away now. But, you know, through making this documentary film, you know, if you, if you had a chance to sit down with him, what would be some of the things that you would want to ask him? I mean, I would I would like to hear more of his, like, kind of raw opinion on, on a lot of things that were going on in America. Um in, in the film, we include what's considered his lost interview with Pierre Burton because it took decades to kind of um, be unearthed. Um, and he, he comes off as very diplomatic. and He is a very diplomatic person, but I would just want to hear him being unfiltered about like racial inequity in America and representation in Hollywood and systemic, you know, racism in Hollywood and things like that, that, you know, because Bruce Lee had a temper and I'm sure there's moments where he would just, have strong reactions to all these different injustices that were being faced by not only Asian Americans, but African Americans and other underrepresented communities. And yeah, so I, I would just want to kind of dive deep in his more political and social side, because he, he doesn't talk about that too much in the, in the archival that we get to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, before you go, I just want to ask you, um, a few more things um, wondering you know for people who might know about Bruce Lee and are gonna watch this documentary and, and want to learn more about him um, you know maybe what are the essential films of Bruce Lee that you recommend and if there's any other resources um, in terms of books um, etc that you might recommend for people that want to learn more about his life um, I would recommend uh, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, which is you know, a book that he was writing um, and he didn't really complete it um, because he passed away. Uh, Enter the Dragon for me is his, is my favorite film of his in the sense that you 
actually get to hear his voice in the film and it's not dubbed in any way. Um, and it just, you know, he, he played such a vital role in the production in terms of the script and, and the setting and um, the action of the film. So you can really see his voice um, both figuratively and literally in that film. Um, you know, there's, we did a lot of research and um, I think uh, Bruce Lee, A Life by Matthew Polly is one book that we used a lot in terms of guidance, in terms of the biography and um, Charles Russo's book, um, striking distance is one that I really like because it focuses on a very specific story in Bruce's life. Um, but yeah, those are the ones that I would recommend if people needed kind of a jumping off point, like a starting point of, of him. Yeah. And I'm wondering, cause you know, we talked about Asians in Hollywood and, you know, kind of amplifying, um, creatives asian creatives um you know if you have any other you know besides yourself um you know asian filmmakers documentarians uh, anyone you wanted to kind of uh let people know or recommend that that, that they can check out um i would say you know i just like bruce lee and a lot of asian american actors we all kind of we stand on the, the shoulders of people who came before us. And I, I was lucky to be mentored by a lot of um, great Asian American filmmakers. And, you know, one is Grace Lee, and she made this film called American Revolutionary about Grace Lee Boggs, who was uh, an activist. And um, it, I think it's a very timely film for, for the world we're living in now. Um, I also recommend the books of Jeff Chang, who is included in our film, and he talks about the intersectionality of race uh, in a lot of his works, and also kind of the influence of, of culture, especially music culture, hip hop culture, and the way that we view society. Um, filmmakers, I mean, in terms of kind of under unknown filmmakers, um, I love the work of Stefan Gauger, who is a Vietnamese-American filmmaker who sadly passed away a few years ago, but he made this film called Al and the Sparrow, which is this really um, poignant uh, story about Vietnam, modern-day Vietnam, that um, I think is lacking in the, in the narrative that we often hear about when we talk about uh, Vietnam as a country. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, everyone should check out Be Water, um, Bao's 30 for 30 film chronicling the life of Bruce Lee, which will premiere this Sunday on ESPN at 9 p.m. Eastern. Bao, thanks for making the time and chatting with me about all of this. And best of luck with the release of this documentary and your future work. Great. Thank you so much, Alex.